At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hey, warm up, lovely Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops-Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got another conference preview for you today as we head out to the SWAC, given one of the HBCUs you respect that they so graciously deserve as we're going to be taking a look at the styles of play and betting trends of the SWAC in segment number one, Herbert Seward. He does great work over at Hallowed Hoops Ground, HBCU Game Day, and so much more. He's going to be joining me in segment number two. We're going to be taking a look at all the rosters that we've got out in the SWAC with him. And then in the final segment, I'm going to get you guys my projector or finish for the SWAC. So we're in for another fun one. And if you ever do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be out for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. I'll have that five-star review. And since we are doing a conference preview today, that means that because I did another one yesterday with the Sun Belt, everything that we saw from the weekend, pretty much Friday through Sunday, those news and notes, they're going to be rounded up on the podcast tomorrow, including Zach Fremantle dealing with a bit of an injury. So we'll get you guys all caught up there. But let's get down to business and let's take a look at a swag that has been highly profitable outside of conference play over the last two seasons. The SWAC always takes a lot of the spy games, always find themselves as Mondo underdogs, but you take a look at the last two seasons, and there's been a lot of teams that have made you a ton of money within the SWAC. As a matter of fact, five separate SWAC teams have covered north of 61% of their games against the spread in non-conference play the last two seasons. Southern going 15-7 and against the spread in that time span. They are going to be under the tutelage of a new coach. That is a big one. You've got Elkhorn State at 17-9 against the spread in non-conference games. Jackson State 15-8-1 against the spread. Alabama State 15-9. And Florida A&M 11-7 against the spread in non-conference play. And against ranked opponents, hitting at north of 55% is the entirety of this conference over the last two seasons 
as well. And then you've got other teams like in Alabama A&M 10-9-1 against the spread out of conference last two seasons. Texas Southern 12-11. And, and then you've got Mississippi Valley State. The old Delta Devils actually going 14-10 against the spread in non-conference play last two seasons. Really, your biggest strengths have been Grambling, who was one of the top teams within the conference last season. So it's a very interesting swag in that you do oftentimes see things go a little bit topsy-turvy when it comes to conference play. Now, not too much of a shocker. Mississippi Valley State, this is straight-up record, by the way. Well, it's at the caboose once again with regards to this conference. They went 4-14. Four and 14. They averaged 61 points per contest, which sadly, Florida and m actually averaged fewer points per game at 58.6. They went 5-13 and 13 straight up within the conference. This conference was really run by two of your better defensive teams. Grambling went 15-3 and three straight up. Alcorn State went 15-3 and three straight up. And then from there, the middle was quite large. Arkansas Pine Bluff, who actually burst onto the scene with some good performances out of conference along with Alabama State. They went 6-12 and 12 straight up within the conference. Texas Southern, who ended up going to the NCAA tournament. You find this a lot within this whack as well. They went 7-11 within the conference. Bethune-Cookman went 8-10. 9-9 was Prairie View. And then Alabama A&M goes 10-8. Southern 11-7. And Jackson State 12-6. So it was a very interesting conference. And a hallmark of this conference is typically you're not going to be getting a lot of great three-point shooting, just to call it what it is. And I do think that if you can find a team that is going to be able to shoot those threes, and it's going to be something that's going to be beneficial within this conference because you just take a look at how it went last season for these teams, and it was not great. Florida a and certainly was the roughest of all the teams within the conference, averaging fewer than 57 points per game, but, I mean, it really was a collective effort. Texas Southern, who represented the conference in the NCAA tournament, they were 361st in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. That was far from terrific, and then Alcorn State, one of your better teams within the conference as well. They were 352nd within the country in three-point shooting percentage. Alabama State was 343rd. Prairie View was 334th. Arkansas Pine Bluff was 326th. So you just go down the list and and a lot of teams that they just weren't able to stroke it from three-point range. Jackson State was 299th in the country with regards to three-point shooting percentage. So it is finding those teams that they're able to give you a little bit of a modicum of three-point shooting. But this is a conference that also plays some relatively solid defense. When Texas Southern has been at its fullest of powers, we have seen them be a top 30 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. And last year, Grambling was really that team. They were 7th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They gave up fewer points per possession than the likes of Mississippi State, UConn, St. Mary's. You go down the list of these marquee teams. They were that team that was really able to shut you down. and They were by far the best defense within the conference. They were held back a little bit by the fact that they, too, really didn't have a lot of terrific three-point shooting, but this was a bunch that was able to do a nice job of being able to generate some defense. Prairie View was 54th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, down a little bit for their standard, but right around 36th, 37th in the country in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. Southern was another team I was able to generate turnovers. They were a top 80 team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, being able to clock in at number 77 as well, and Though I talk about Florida A&M and their rough defense, they were right around about a country average team with regards to points allowed per possession. Alabama A&M was one of those teams that was right around 114th as well. So this is a conference that is built quite a bit on defense. And 
Anyone that's able to put the biscuit in the basket, it does bode well for them. Texas Southern was down a little bit with their defense at 132nd in the country. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, but I do think that they are going to be back with a vengeance this season. And when it comes to taking a look at totals within the conference, it does get to be very interesting because you do have more slow teams and you do have a lot of teams that have a little bit of a tough time being able to shoot from three. And this was really one of your best under-conferences in all of college basketball last year. If you take a look at the last two seasons, only three teams have played north of 50% of their games to the over. Bethune-Cookman, ever since Reggie Theus took over, they've been hitting at about 58.5% of their games to the over. Arkansas Pine Bluff, 55%. And Mississippi Valley State, just due to the fact that they really give up quite a few points, 53% of their games have went over the total. But you have noticed with Alabama A&M, Jackson State, along with Florida A&M, North of 56% of their games since the start of the 2020-21 campaign have gone under the total. And last season, only one team played north of 51.6% of their games to the over. That main concept, Bethune-Cookman, 18 overs, 11 unders, and a push. And Alabama State was one of your best under teams. Forget the swack, but in all of college basketball, 72.5% of their games went under the total. And I'll put this in perspective for you. Out of the top four teams in the under and all of college basketball, three came from the NEC and the other was Alabama State. So, I mean, I thought that that was just absolutely hilarious as they played last season with eight overs, 21 unders, and a push. And then you had quite a few other very good under teams as well. Grambling, who I was mentioning their defense, 11 overs to 20 unders. Jackson State, 12 overs to 21 unders. Florida A&M, 10 overs, 16 unders, and a push. Texas Southern, 14 overs, 19 unders. Prairie View, 13 overs, 17 unders. So you had a lot of profitable teams to the under. I was mentioning the fact that, as well, this is a team that is very profitable in non-conference play, and you didn't see that really manifest itself in non-conference play, as only two teams played more than 46.5% of their games over the total non-conference play. Bethune-Cookman went eight over three unders in non-conference play last year. Alabama A&M out of 10 games out of conference. Six of them went over the total. Meanwhile, Grambling and Texas Southern had a combined five overs to 17 unders between the two of them. Alabama State and Mississippi Valley State both hit north of 66% of their games to the under out of conference. Along with Arkansas Pine Bluff, these three teams all between 667 and 69.2% of their games going under the total. A little bit more tame with the likes of Southern Prairie View. They both played uh, their 11 non-conference games, just five to the over. But I mean, you really saw these teams really slow things down, make things grimy, play some tough defense. And that is very much a hallmark of what you're going to find out there in the SWAC. And when it comes to the SWAC and the home and road splits, I always do think that that's very interesting as well because you do have some great home court environments. The SWAC, as we know, they are known for all of those great marching bands, what have you. And it really didn't translate into a great home court advantage last season as you did have a few teams that were very good at being able to cover at home. Mississippi Valley State, Bethune-Cookman, both went 7-3 and 7-3 and 1 respectively against the spread at home. Grambling went 6-4 against the spread at home and Southern went 7-2 against the spread at home. But Texas Southern, Alcorn State, Florida A&M, they all covered 33% or fewer of their games at home. Florida A&M and Oakland State both going 3-6 and six against the spread at home. Texas Southern 2-8-1 and one against the spread at home. And you just notice it. 
all these home games. They really come in conference because these teams sponsor very many of their other athletic programs by taking these bye games on the road. And that's really where the SWAC has been able to shine. It's a big reason why you saw four different teams last year cover at least 60% of their games to the road. They're used to it. Mississippi Valley State, Alcorn State, both went 12-8 and eight against the spread on the road. Jackson State, 14-7 and seven against the spread on the road. Florida A&M, sad Florida A&M. 12-6 against the spread on the road because they were catching those gobbled amount of points. Now, a little bit of a disappointing year for our Prairie View. 6-12 and 12 against the spread on the road last season. Texas Southern, Bethune-Cookman, they both went 6-9-1. and one. Very nice against the spread on the road as well. But all in all, these teams, they do a very solid job on the road. They don't really get a lot of home games because they do have to play those bye games on the road to be able to help out the other scholarship sports as well. So, I do find that to be very interesting about the SWAC, and it's a SWAC that really was able to create some nice upsets with the likes of a Prairie View being able to win against, I believe it was Washington State last year. We saw Grambling pull off some nice upsets against the likes of Vanderbilt and others as well. So I do feel like this is a conference that is building, and I know that Herbert Seward, who does great work over at Hollowed Hoops Ground, HBCU Game Day, and so much more, is going to be taking a look at that next as we break down every single swag roster with him on the flip side here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast, the Swag Conference Preview Edition. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. 
They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here you Las Vegas for Cuts and Cuts with myself, Greg East Peters. And now part of the Visa Family Podcast, this is a SWAC preview edition and it is great to be joined by this man as Herbert Stewart. He does an amazing job taking a look at the great game of college basketball along with college football. He does a great job taking a look at all things HBCUs when it comes to basketball and football. He's the HBCU digital network contributor out there doing great work over at hollowedhoopsground.com. I know he's done some work that you've been able to find at Bust and Brackets and so much more. You're able to find Herbert on X at HHL Seward, his last name, which is spelled S E W A R D, and then the number three all together. And Herbert, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I'm glad to be back here talking basketball, man. It's um, you know, it's football season, but basketball season is right around the corner, so this is always dope. Oh, absolutely. I know that you do a great job taking a look at the SWAC. And when it comes to SWAC, as we know, Texas Southern has really been that team that has been able to make the NCAA tournament year in and year out. And as I'm sure you know as well as I do, Texas Southern, they're losing a lot of pieces once again from another team that had a solid year last year. But as we both know, once again, they're going to be breaking in some transfers, some from the Division One level, some from the junior college level. Is it once again one of those cases where Texas Southern is going to be the team to beat, or is there someone else that stands out to you? Because with Texas Southern as well, they did have a little bit of a rocky regular season before putting together to be able to make that run to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, to be honest, man, I think the SWAC this year is going to be wide open. It's going to be ultra competitive. It was ultra competitive last year. The conference by itself had one of its best seasons to date in terms of how it showed on the national stage and how... You know, they've, you know, fared against out-of-conference competition. Anybody that watched SWAC basketball or SWAC's interaction with other conferences like the Pac-12, like the Pac-12 for example. Grambling had had pretty big win against the Pac-12, so did Texas Southern. And programs really had really good showings, you know, against some competition a lot better than what they have in, in previous years. So in terms of Texas Southern, much like everybody else in the conference, you know, they've been hit. There's been transfers, you know, unfortunately. You know, mid-major programs at that level get hit, you know, disproportionately a little bit more than regular programs do. Texas Southern is a perfect example. We're not going to really get a chance to see exactly what Texas Southern is working with fully until, you know, we get closer to the season. But one big component coming back for those guys is P.J. Henry. Anybody that's seen him, he's a transfer out of Hartford. He was their lead guard for them last year. He was injured a little bit last year, but came back and made a complete difference in terms of how that team really responded during conference play. There's a freshman, you know, on the squad, uh, Zadarius Mortal, extremely athletic. I think he's going to be the heir apparent to him. And those guys are going to make a really, really good backcourt. It's going to be really interesting to see how the coaching staff there replaces what they had on the front line. Shakir O'Neal, Shaquille O'Neal's son comes back, but, you know, they lost Grayson Carter. They lost a lot of people on the front line, on the post, and it's going to be interesting to see who they pick up out of the transfer of Juco Rings to replace them. Yeah, Ben, as we know, with Texas Southern, typically not a team that's going to be like some amazing three-point shooting team or anything like that, 
they're very much built on rebounding. So that is going to be big for them. And I thought it was really interesting to take a look at this team last season. That'd be Alabama A&M. As they had a pretty good front line. Depth was a little bit questionable with them the last few seasons. And they are going to be losing three other top four scores. But I do like the fact that they've got Omari Peak back in the fold. I think the guy to really watch out for is Dallin Smith, who was able to average right around 10.5 points per game. And we've got a kid by the name of Forte Prater, who he comes in from the Don D1 ranks over at Bishop State Community College. Absolutely tore it up there. What are expectations for Alabama A&M? Because they do seem like they've been a team that has been on the uptick the last few seasons. But as is the case with a lot of these swag schools, they're missing quite a few pieces from last year. I think Alabama A&M's identity started to change last year. Prior to the new coaching staff change, those guys were really perimeter-oriented. Last year, they had one of the biggest front lines in the conference, you know, average anywhere from 6'9 to 6'11 you know, across the board. The problem with those guys this past year was perimeter scoring. And if they weren't getting it from Garrett Hicks, there would be times where things really kind of bogged down offensively. And I think that's going to be the big thing for these guys going forward. I would imagine, like we said for Texas Southern, there's going to be a lot of reliance on JUCO transfers, on you know, transfers from the G5 and then major ranks. I think Omari Peak is going to be key. From anybody that's seen him at Lawson State, he's a really solid all-around talent. You know, he really fulfilled a lot of roles for that Lawson State squad in terms of scoring the ball. Garrett Hicks is going to be the focal point for that offense. And I say that because he was the, he was the top perimeter threat for that squad from behind the arc. He was one of the food guards that could really put it on the floor when things really broke down to create his own shot. You know, he can score up and shoot the three, but he had enough game on the floor where he can get past you and get into the lane and make things happen for other people. The rebounding part of this, part of this equation and the play on the block, the defensive part, I think Alabama A&M was way ahead of the curve last year, and I think that continues this year. The question is, is how they're going to grow offensively. You know, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see that early in some of their – out of conference matchups that they have and and see whether or not the recruiting goal of getting more scoring from the backcourt and at the four positions, you know, is going to fare well for them. Absolutely. I do think that there are some question marks there, but I like what they've been able to build as Herbert Seward is joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops. Does a great job of taking a look at really all things HBCU basketball and HBCU football for that matter as well. And when it comes to this team, they are going to be losing quite a bit from last season. And I do think that this is a team that was hit the hardest by losses in general, and that'd be Southern. Sean Woods has done a pretty incredible job, but now it is going to be Kevin Johnson who's going to be taking over at the helm. And as a result, they have to replace pretty much all their top five scorers from last season. They do bring in Brandon Davis from Texas State, but with Southern last year, you knew that this defense was going to be rock solid. You knew that they were going to generate turnovers. This is a completely new team. I think that Drayshawn Allen has some upside with his bunch, but I just think that Southern is going to be a completely different team from a season ago, and I think it's hard to have high expectations for them just given all the turnover from a season ago. Yeah, agreed. It's going to be really telling to see how this team, you know, roster brand new from the, from the bottom to the top reacts to having a new roster, new staff. We haven't really heard a lot in terms of what the style of play is going to be. You know, Coach Woods, in prior tenure there was, you know, they're really hard-nosed defensive team. They really got after you. On the perimeter, you know, they really put pressure on the pass lanes. They weren't really much in terms of lane or rim protection, but they really put exerted a lot of pressure on you, you know, once you got in the half court. They did press occasionally, and they had the guards to do it. 
I think the problem here is that we really don't know what we got in terms of returning talent and in terms of you know talent that's really going to be an impact. And I think it's going to be really key for some of the local talent that's come back home, like Teron Joseph, Derek Tenzo, who are from Melville, you know, that junior class that's on that squad to really step up. You know, there's one familiar name for me, Anton Jacks, you know, out of Greenbelt, Maryland. He's from the DMV. You know, I remember him playing prep ball in this area, and he was really an effective kid. A little bit on the small side of 5'11", but extremely good ball handler, somebody that can really break down defenses if you get in the front, get in front of people. But I don't like saying that I don't, you know, have a lot of expectations for the squad because if anything about SWAC basketball, anybody that's watched SWAC basketball is that once you get into conference play, everything is on the table. Even folks that are perceived favorites run into roadblocks, folks that you wouldn't think would be making a run, you know, to SWAC tournament play, you know, do. It's just, you know, the jury's out until we actually get the season started and we see what this team is all about. I do think so, and I think that it's going to be really interesting to take a look at the SWAC this season, especially with this team, Prairie View, because I think if they can get back to their roots of generating turnovers, that'll be big for them because in eight out of the last nine seasons, this team is ranked in the top 33 in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. They were 33rd last season, but... Bringing in Ronell Giles, who was a very good player a few seasons ago at St. Francis of Pennsylvania, is big. This team at the transfer portal hard. Javante Hopkins comes in from Tarleton State, shot over 45% from three. Nick Gazalis, he was a very good sharpshooter over at Montana State as well. And for Prairie View, felt like it was just an uncharacteristic down year for them. And I expect them to come back as a ven- in a I expect them to come back with a vengeance. This is always one of the best coach teams, in my opinion, in the SWAC. Agreed. I think there's enough talent on this team that's returning in addition to what's coming in to be at the top of the conference. You know, I think one of the things that Prairie View was really missing last year was consistent perimeter scoring. I'm not saying that in terms of, you know, guards that can score because they had a couple of really good guards that could really slash, get into the lane, put points in the bucket in a measure of ways, but we're talking about dedicated outside shooting. And I think the Montana transfer in particular, you know, that dude has a reputation as a bit of a sniper. I think he's going to become in and he's going to change how those guys play in terms of being able to stretch defenses in the half court. You know, somebody having to be accountable for that guy at all times. You're not really going to be able to zone up against those guys. You know, I'm really excited to see how this squad looks because Last year wasn't the typical Prairie View squad. You know, even with the talent they had on the roster, by SWAC standards, it was very pedestrian, you know, very inconsistent. And I don't anticipate seeing that out of this particular team, this particular program. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys perform. They'll be in the hunt, not just at the top of the conference, but, you know, to get a tourney bid or postseason bid in somebody's tournament. I'm looking forward to seeing what Prairie View's got. I am as well with Prairie View. They're always one of my favorite teams to watch, and they always send to spring some sort of an upset <laughs> during the non-conference portion of the season as well. As Herbert Seward is joining me right here on Cusco Soups. We're diving into the SWAC conference as he does an amazing job taking a look at this conference and so much more over at hollowedhoopsground.com. And Herbert, I'll know about if we dive in on this team as – it's been rough for them the last few years. It's Mississippi Valley State. I mean, it really was rough a few years ago back when you had Mr. Lindsey Hunter in the fold. He just could not get things turned around. And 
They underwent a little bit of a regime change last season. And they really did slow things down a little bit a season ago. The team has been going through quite a few different coaching changes. And what is the overall outlook on this team? Because I do think that Alvin Stredrick coming back, he was a guy that was able to average right around seven points per game. You bring back someone like Danny Washington as well. But this team just hasn't been able to have a lot of consistency with regards to the coaching staff, with regards to the guys really on campus in general. I think that bigger than anything else, I feel like this team just needs to find an identity. Agreed. I think, you know, finding an identity, particularly with the new staff, is going to be huge. And I think ultimately, you know, Valley has traditionally been one of those programs that have really, really relied on the influx of JUCO talent. If anybody knows basketball in Mississippi, there's a really, really, really strong infrastructure for JUCO basketball in the state. And I think it's going to be key for this new staff to really tap into that Last year's roster had a lot of JUCO influence on it. I anticipate this year's roster is going to have a lot of JUCO influence on it as well from the state. And I think ultimately, I think it's going to be really important to one, establish guard play for this team. We don't know really what we're going to be getting in terms of, you know, the forward or the forward or center positions, primarily because last year they were just, you know, across the board, it was a real hard road to hold for Valley in terms of stopping anybody defensively. Outside of Bethune-Cookman, they had a real challenge, you know, stopping folks in half-court situations, points per attempt, even on a perimeter. So the best thing that we can see out of the squad is just like we said earlier, finding out what the identity is defensively, what they're going to focus on in terms of how to attack defenses, you know, how they're going to score the ball, who's going to be step up in leadership positions on the squad. This is going to be one of those things where, you know, the early season in November is going to tell a lot about what direction this is going to go for this Valley team. No doubt about it. I think that it's just all about baby steps when it comes to Mississippi Valley State being able to build themselves up. And when it comes to this school, even with them losing for their top five scores from last year, it's all about building that just great defense that they had a season ago. And that'd be Grambling, a top 20 team in the country last year in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. No doubt left a little bit of something to be desired on offense, but with Jalen Johnson returning to the swag after he tore it up a few years ago at Alabama A&M, bringing back Jonathan Aku, I really like the outlook of this team. Something like Elvis Nanji coming in from George Mason as well. I think that he's going to be able to help out. You were talking about junior college transfers. I know that they bring in a very good one in Catavius Dozier from Gadsden Valley State College. He was averaging, and I'm not even kidding here, North of 26 points per game. Just absolute ridiculous numbers there. And I take a look at Grambling, and certainly losing those pieces from last year is rough, but I feel like the defense is still going to be there. The question is being able to have enough offense to be able to win the conference. Yeah, I think, you know, Grambling is my preseason favorite to win the conference in the regular season. Even though they lost a, a substantial amount, they've got a lot coming back. Jonathan Aku, preseason, you know, all swack player of the year candidate. Anybody that saw that guy last year, the guy was a man. During conference play, he was really hard to stop. It was really hard to really game plan for defensively on the block. You know, SWAC championship play, tournament play, you know, it left a little bit to be desired, but it wasn't more so post play. It was more so, you know, guard play, not kind of letting the team down. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about what's coming back and the transfers that are coming in. There's a lot of size. There's a lot of length on this roster. And they're going to be just as disruptive, in my opinion, as they were last year. I think from a scoring perspective, 
Uh, I think Elvis Nanji from, you know, again, George Mason, I had a chance to see him last time. He was in the D.C. metro area, you know, in Mason. He's an extremely athletic kid, 6'8", really versatile. You know, he could play two, three, or even a little bit of four spot. It's going to be really, really exciting watching this Grambling squad play again. And even them playing, you know, an out-of-conference competition. Last year, as I mentioned earlier, they had really high-profile wins against some Power 5 competition. You know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this coaching staff does because I think this is, you know, arguably one of the best coaching staffs in the country, in the, in the conference. I think so as well. I think that Grambling is really going to be able to build off of what they did last year with that tremendous defense. And this is a bunch that is looking to build off of what Mo Williams, yes, that Mo Williams that you remember from the likes of Mil- the Milwaukee Bucks and so many others can do in season number two at Jackson State as they bring in Deshaun Ruffin who I remember from Ole Miss two years ago was averaging 12.5 points in the SEC with over two steals per contest, was robbed a little bit by injuries. But, I mean, if he could live up to his potential and stay healthy, he might be the best player in this conference. Ken Evans comes back. Chase Adams is someone I really like. He was a former guard over at Portland, went down to the junior college level, has resurfaced and Jackson State. They bring back a lot from last year. You can tell that there was a little bit of chemistry issues from time to time with this team, but I take a look at the raw talent of Jackson State and I put it against anyone within the conference. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not often that you get McDonald's All-Americans in your program and SWAC schools. And the fact that Mo Williams, and I'm kind of a little bittersweet in a way because Mo Williams was bas- was coach at Alabama State for a while. We, you know, were really kind of leaning on his adeptness in terms of recruiting to bring some kids in. I think on paper, this is one the most talented roster in the conference. Like I said, it's not every day you get, you know, McDonald's All-Americans landing on your on your roster, you know, for swag play. And Deshaun Ruffin isn't just any old McDonald's All-American. This dude was one of the better guards in the SEC for, for a good bit of time while he was playing. There's also some intra-conference transfers, specifically Jordan O'Neill from Alabama State. He's amongst a handful of transfers there. It's really going to be exciting watching this program play. It's really going to be interesting to see, you know, the talent that's on paper, seeing whether or not this talent meshes and turns into a product that's going to compete for a crown. And I think they will. They started to find themselves, you know, the last part of last year, and they had a really good show in the SWAC tournament. I think they hit the ground running. These guys are a real contender for the SWAC championship. I think these guys are as well. And I think that it comes down to just keeping this team healthy, and it comes down to getting a little bit more depth with this bunch as well. And I'm talking about Bethune-Cookman because Zion Harmon is a former top 150 recruit that came in, and he was able to give the team right around 14 points per game last season. Derek Carter-Hollinger, I remember he had some nice seasons over there at Montana. He's a solid three-point shooter that's able to stretch the floor as well, but it's all about getting some of those ancillary pieces, like a James Anderson to be able to fire down low. I'm not sure how you take a look at this Bethune-Cookman team, but I like the star power that this team has. I would like to see a little bit more depth with regards to the guys coming in off the bench, though. I think the big thing with this Bethune-Cookman team is having that aforementioned star power actually step up and, you know, play up this, play up to those expectations. Last year, when I did the SWAC preview, we were looking at Joe French and Zion Harmon as being a potential all-SWAC backcourt, along with Marcus Garrett, who's now departed. Marcus Garrett was probably the most effective guy in that backcourt rotation last year, and he's off to Europe. 
the big thing is, is that this is going to be, you know, Harmon's team now in terms of running and in terms of being able to, you know, put his stamp on the team. Again, there's talent that's there. Cookman had a 6'10", you know, guard on the roster, Lucas Goodavicious. He's Lithuanian and ultra talented. Dude, 6'10", 225, can play spots one through four. He really didn't get a chance to see the floor last year. You know, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Coach Theus, you know, and that program utilizes the talent that's there. Because there was a lot of really good talent there. It didn't really show itself in terms of cohesiveness cohesiveness and swag play. But the potential is there to be a real dark horse, you know, in the conference. It just depends on whether the guard play is going to show up or not. You know, it's going to be fun watching and seeing whether that talent meshes. You know, for the lack of a return, I think, you know, Harmon can't really deny the talent that's there. Western Kentucky transfer, again, he's from the D.C. metro area from Temple Heroes, Maryland. Folks remember, you know, how talented this kid is. So I fully expect to see that, you know, on display at some point. And with regards to Bethune-Cookman as well, Damani McIntyre, the way that he's able to generate turnovers, that's big for the team as well as Herbert Seward. Joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops does a great job over at Hollow Hoops Ground, and we are diving in on the SWAC. And I think that this team is really interesting as well because Alabama State, they underwent a coaching change last offseason as well with the Madlocks coming in, Tony Tony and TJ Madlock. TJ, obviously the man out there on the floor, was able to register right around 11 points per contest. But they bring a guy in, Deontay Bass, former top 250 recruit who was over at Georgetown last season. I think that there's a little bit of upside there. I really like Isaiah Range as well. It did feel like with Alabama State, they were trying to find their footing a little bit and certainly need to add some shooting. They were in the bottom 15 in all of college basketball, both two-point and three-point shooting percentage, but the defense certainly took some steps up last season. I do think that in year number two of the Madlocks being there, I think that they should be able to ascend. Yeah, I agree. You know, Deontay Bass... Didn't get a lot of time when he was at Georgetown, but, you know, there's really no denying his talent. Three-star coming out of Georgia, you know, he's going to bring a level of toughness on the block that, you know, State didn't really have a lot of last year. And I think that's going to be really important going forward for this team. I want to talk about the newcomers that are coming in. Specifically, there's one guy that's really intriguing to me. C.J. Hines from Falcon. He was the first team NAIA All-American. Average of a shade under 17 points a game last year for Faulkner. And he's going to be able to bring, you know, scoring punch to this roster. I got a chance to see him play when he was at Faulkner, and the guy can light it up. He's a real threat at all three levels in terms of scoring. You know, his game translate is going to translate well to the swag because, you know, he's a guy that can go and get baskets for you when you need it. It's going to be really cool to take a look at what he's going to do. You know, TJ Matlock coming back obviously is great. I'm really excited to see him develop more. You know, to be quite honest with you, he was – at times, one of the more solid players in the SWAC last year, you know, just from an all-around game perspective. So I'm excited to see him coming back. There are some incoming recruits that are coming in from Memphis, from Tony Matlock's, you know, recruiting grounds. There's a Memphis transfer, although his name escapes me. I think his last name is Jacobs, Micah Jacobs. Yeah, he's transferring in from Memphis, 6'1", you know, 170-pound guard. Got a chance to play a little bit under Penny Hardaway. Him getting an opportunity to be in this guard rotation is going to accelerate his growth a lot. You know, he's not, you know, playing behind, you know, some of the talent that was at Memphis when he was there. So he's going to get a chance to blossom. I think the defensive philosophy that Coach Matlock has on that squad is solid. They pressure the ball 
as you mentioned before, Isaiah Grange being able to come back, particularly after the type of injury that he had, it's a real inspirational thing for kids on that roster to see him back. I'm excited to see him back. It's going to be really cool to see how that translates into this team, you know, trying to get into the upper echelon of the conference. And I do think that they've got a shot to be able to do so. I think that Madlock is doing a good job of being able to turn things around over there. And I do think that this program is going to just need to try to find guys that they're able to build around over there in future years, and that's Florida A&M. We saw things really bottom out for them last year. They were really having a rough time with their 262nd in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Defense wasn't too bad, but offense really was destroying it all season long. They do bring back, though, Dominguez Stevens, along Jordan Chapman, a pair of guys that were pretty solid. And Love Bettis, who comes in from North Carolina A&T, he's a 40% three-point shooter as well. I think the biggest thing for Florida A&M is just finding a guy that is able to just flat out put the ball in the basket, be a little bit of a leader for the team, because that's what it felt like they were really lacking last year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the two names that you mentioned, Dominga Stevens and Love Bettis, both, you know, at the programs that they were respectively at prior to getting into fame use rotation. I'm familiar with Dominga Stevens. Again, he's another D.C. Metro kid out of Wilson High School. Had a lot of accolades coming out. Eventually ended up at Seton Hall before transferring to Florida A&M. Had a reputation as a real, real effective outside shooter. The question is, is whether or not he's going to get the opportunity to showcase that. I think there's a real opportunity for him to do so here because really where A&M was at, you know, it's not, there's really no place else to go but up. <laughs> and I think <laughs> the big thing with this staff is that kind of like some other squads, you know, in the conference, forging our identity, finding some leadership, finding go-to folks that you're going to be able to go to for buckets on the floor. Love Bettis is a really talented kid. I thought he was going to get more playing time at a and more than he did. You know, he's the type of guy that can control the game, you know, with him getting into the lane. He's a really good slasher, you know, and he makes really good plays around. You know, he makes people around him a good deal better. You know, he doesn't make bad decisions with the ball. You know, having though, you know, that type of guard in the rotation is going to help. There are a number of unknown commodities that are coming into the program that are newcomers. The big thing is, is well, what are we going to get out of this transfer class that's coming in for the staff? I'm not one to predict that, you know, teams are going to be staying in the same place or, or, or get worse or get better. But I think the Florida A&M faithful are expecting the investments that they put into this program, whether it's facilities, recruiting, to pay off. And I think they're, they're going to start paying off this year. And I do think so as well. I know that Florida A&M has been putting a lot into just all their sports programs in general. I do think that you're going to be seeing the fruits of everything that they have put in be starting to pay off starting this year. As joining me on the show, we do have Herbert Seward. He does great work over at hollowedhoopsground.com. And we've got two teams left to take a look at. This one in Alcorn State has been a bunch at with regards to the SWAC regular season. They've taken the crown each of the last two years. One of those teams where they don't necessarily have that one alpha dog score, but it's like to say with the team, the whole is greater than some of its parts. They bring back Jeremiah Kendall, who's able to average right around 11 points, PMI six half boards per contest. De- Kedrick Thorne, he's been able to do a solid job shooting it from three-point range. And then Byron Joshua is someone I like, as he's able to dole out the ball with this team as well. They've brought in a few guys via the transfer portal to be able to pop up with things as well. And I take a look at Alcorn State, and if they could just maintain that balance that they've had in past years, they did lose a few ancillary pieces from a season ago. I think that they're going to be right back there towards the top of the swag. 
you know, when you talk about Alcorn State basketball this last couple of years, it starts and ends with the staff. Landon Bussey is not only one of the better coaches in the SWAC, but one of the better young coaches on the mid-major basketball scene in the NCAA at Division One. You know, what he's done with that with that Alcorn program in terms of forging the defensive identity, turned the people over a lot. At least they have in the last couple of seasons where he's been at the helm. They've had really impressive guard play. I hate for this to be a recurring theme here. I think this final version of this Alcorn State roster is not really going to be something we can predict until we actually see these guys hit the floor. You know, we don't know what we have coming in in terms of transfers in terms of how they're going to mesh. You know, with certain programs, we've seen what they can do by some of the returning quantities that they got coming in. For example, Jackson State, the rival up the road. Mo Williams has kind of geared himself to really fortify that backcourt in a big way. Alcorn State is kind of doing the same thing. The only thing is, is that we just don't know what we're going to get at positions three and four, for example. In other words, we won't really see what we want to see until you know, we see these guys play together on the floor. And I think the guard play is going to be there. You know, the guard play for Atlanta Bussy teams has been there ever since he took the home. I don't see that changing. I think the biggest thing that we need to look at when it comes to Alcorn is them maintaining that defensive standard across the board and maybe getting an impact guy or two on the block that can give them a third or fourth scoring option for them to really be effective and make, you know, those offensive sets work for them. I think that that would be so key for them. And I take a look at this last team in Arkansas Pine Bluff, and this team was able to burst onto the scene last season with the way that they were able to play tough against TCU. They really did a nice job in those step-up games last season. And they do lose a few pieces from last year, but if they could get Rashad Williams out there on the floor and back to what he was able to do while he was at Oakland a few years ago when he had 19.5 points per game on, not even kidding here, 12.6, three-point Shots per game, that'd be big. And from within the conference, I know you were talking about Joe French over at Bethune-Cookman. He comes in, got a guy like an A.C. Curry that does a solid job for the team. It felt like they were a little bit of a top-heavy team, but I like the additions that they made in the transfer portal. Ismail Plett, I think, is a little bit of a underrated guy that I think could be able to have a big impact down low this year as well. Yeah, I agree. I also think that Joe French going someplace where he's not, he doesn't have to be the first option scoring is going to do wonders for his offensive game. Anybody that's seen Joe French Jr. play while he was at Bethune Cookman knows that this guy doesn't need a lot of room to get a shot off. When he gets hot, he can really impact and control games with the shooting. I think him coming to this program in particular, and I think, you know, out of all the teams in the SWAC, UAPB has been a little bit of an enigma. I say that because they've had really talented guard play. You know, Sean Doss Jr. was on this roster last year. You know, they've had a really, really solid rotation of guards, although the consistency wasn't really there at times. When it was there, they were really hard to deal with. Rafael Martinez, he was a freshman last year, and I think he's coming back. I think they have a lot of other transfers that are coming in that are really going to make a difference in terms of how they play. They were a big team last year. That is going to continue to be the trend. The question is whether or not they get tougher. The times where they were really, you know, you know, dialed in and focused in and playing defense, they were hard to deal with in conference. They had some really impressive defensive performances during the season last year. As the season, you know, gets started, we'll get a better idea of how effective defensively they will be. But I think the potential is there for these guys to make a run. You know, they're a dark horse candidate in my eyes. I do think that 
with Arkansas Pine Bluff. They have been able to do a good job in those step-up games. They were very good within the conference last year. I think that they're really taking some strides forward. And Herbert, I know you're doing a great job taking a look on so many different fronts, both at HBCU College Basketball along with the football front as well. You're a busy man this time of year, so let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yes, thank you. First and foremost, man, big shout out to the folks at HBCU Nightly, HBCU Digital Network, HBCU Sports, where I am doing HBCU Sports and Culture content. You know, I could be reached at any of those platforms. HBCUsports.com, that's www.hbcusports.com. I have game review footage up there for HBCU Culture and Marching Bands, HBCU Digital Network. I have content there. That's www.hbcudigital.com. As mentioned earlier in the show, uh, my Twitter, or rather Twitter, X feed, <laughs> is HHL Seward the Third or HHL Seward Three. That's my Twitter handle. I'm not going to say X. I can't. <laughs> That's just not going to work. <laughs> you know, quite often, you, you know, you check my feed out. It's going to be everything from HBCU basketball, football, bands, and sports, and everything else in between. So I've got a lot of pen stuff there. You know, if you follow recruiting, I have basketball recruiting threads there. So that's a good place to stop. I can also be found for Hallowed Hoops Ground. That's my basketball website. That's www.hallowedhoopsground.com. And essentially, that's hoops. That's being that's a hoops focus centric focus for the DC metro area as well as HBCU basketball. Also, a pretty recent endeavor, and this is covering the world of HBCU marching bands. Website is www.halftimeglory.com. That is my platform to cover the craft, the performance craft, the competition craft. That is HBCU marching band. Lots of stuff, <laughs> lots of writing, lots of content. But yeah, man, you can find me. On any of those platforms and every Wednesday and Friday night on X Spaces, Twitter Spaces, excuse me, the HBC Nightly crew, I'm part of that country, you know, contributor crew. And we have our broadcast spaces that are simulcast. Those are done every Wednesday and Friday and we talk about everything HBCU sports. So, you know, if you're on Twitter or, or Lord Elon's X feed <laughs> on you know, any part of those times, you know, tune in on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. On Friday nights at 8 p.m. and check us out. Herbert does great work on so many different fronts. I know that he is very hard at work taking a look at the upcoming college basketball season, doing a great job on the football front, so many different endeavors, and it is always great to be able to get him aboard. A big thanks to Herbert for joining me right here on Coast Coast Super Style, part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it's that time of the podcast. I give you my projector or finish for the slap. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Ghost Kissings with myself, Greg Eubes Peterson, now part of the Visa Family and Podcast. It was great to be able to get Herbert Seward aboard. He does amazing work taking a look at really all things HBCU, as you heard in the final part of that segment, as he does a great job taking a look at the bands. He does a great job taking a look at football, basketball. Does a great job with his website, allhoopsground.com, and so much more. So, big thanks to Herbert for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast that I give you my projector or finish for the SWAC. And, of course, because we are doing a conference preview tonight, that means that the news and notes that we saw in college basketball from Friday and Saturday, they are going to be rounded up on the podcast tomorrow since also did my Sunbelt preview yesterday as well. So you guys are getting a lot of conference previews, getting you guys set for the upcoming season. And I'm going to get you set with something that probably should not be too much of a shock to you. Dead last in my projector of finish. We are going to be going with Mississippi Valley State. Since making the 2013 NCAA tournament, the team has had four different head coaches and 11 straight seasons with fewer than 10 wins, and they've had at least 23 losses in every one of them that has been completed and not been canceled due to COVID and everything like that. And even in that 2020-21 season, I still think they lost 23 games. I mean, it's rough to say the least. The top three players with regards to points and rebounds for last season are all gone, and Alvin Strederick, who had seven points, three and a half boards, 
He's now going to need to step up. They bring in Areco Gibson, who he was limited to 14 games last year. When he was starting, he was giving you 4.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game, but the team was 361st in the country in turnovers per offensive play, 330th in block shot rate, 299th in points allowed per possession, 361st in points scored on a per-possession basis. It's a mess. George Ivory is doing his best, but this is really one of the toughest rebuilds in all of college basketball, and I don't know if I I don't know if John Wooden himself would be successful with this one. 12th in my projector or finish. Going with Mississippi Valley State. At number 11, we go with Florida A&M. The Rattlers were 356th in the country in two-point shooting percentage, 362nd in points scored on a per-possession basis, and had the highest turnover rate per-possession of any team in all of college basketball. But they bring back Dominguez Stevens, who was able to give you 8.5 points per contest, shot a little bit over 40% from three-point range, so that is going to be a little bit helpful for this team. You also have a guy in Jordan Chapman, who was able to give you right around Five and a half points per contest. Was able to chip in there right around four boards as well. So you do have a little bit of something for this team. And they were right around about a league average defense last year. We were talking about Love Bettis. He's coming in from North Carolina A&T. 40% three-point shooter while he was at A&T with about four and a half points per contest a season or two ago. Robert McCollum, I do think, is a relatively solid coach. And he does have to replace his top scorer in Jordan Tillman, the only guy in the roster that averaged north of 10 points per contest. So that's going to be a little bit rough. And Jalen Bettis, the only guy that averaged north of four rebounds per game. He's also out of the full, but Shannon Grant, and he's able to give you a little bit of something as well. And if you could get Chase Bars out there, as he's been dealing with a lot of injuries the last few seasons, that'd be very beneficial for this team as well. So at number 11, with regards to my projector finish, going to be going Florida a and At number 10, I'm going with Southern. Just because with Southern, this is a completely new-look team. Sean Woods is replaced by Kevin Johnson, and man, he was an assistant at Tulane last season, so I think they're still going to play a relatively similar style. Tulane was actually number one in the country last year. With regards to total possessions per game, you saw that Southern was really cranking up their tempo. They were a team that was largely trying to be able to generate steals, and they were able to do so quite well. The problem that Southern is going to be facing is that they are having to replace each of their top five scorers from a season ago. These were the guys with the active hands for this team. They do have Deshaun Allen returning with Deshaun Allen. Average right around five points per contest. Shot about 36% from three. Derek Tezano, he was able to put in there some scoring from Stephen F. Austin, but they are really going to be relying upon unheralded junior college transfers and freshman recruits, and that is just not a place where you want to be. You've got Festus and Amana as well. He's been able to do a relatively solid job with this program, right around six points. Four boards per contest on a guy that's going to light it up from three-point range, but he's able to give you a little bit of something down low. But the team is going to be playing a similar style with having to replace all of those fulcrum pieces in the backcourt and having to deal with a little bit of a new style under Kevin Johnson. So I think that's going to be a rough year for them. I've got Southern at number 10 with regards to my projector or finish. At number 9, I am going to be going with Alabama State. With Alabama State, things were really building for this program. They were bringing in Mo Williams. And for Tony Medlock, I think that he's a solid coach, but I do think that he just needs a little bit more around his son, TJ. TJ Madlock last year had himself a very solid season. He was able to give the team right around 11 points, six boards per contest, but you just need to get Isaiah Range back out there on the floor. As we were talking about in the previous segment with Herbert, he was putting up really nice numbers for this team, shooting about 42.5% from three, 14 points per contest. 
Sanchez, but suffered a bad injury during the season last year. So you do have to wonder how effective he's going to be moving forward for a team that was 357th of the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They were last in overall two-point shooting percentage last year, so that's not necessarily too tremendous. They do bring in Deontay Bass. He comes in from Georgetown after he was a top 225 recruit for the class of 2022. Nice little combo player that should be able to help this team out. Eric Coleman looks to get back to that 2019-20 form when he was at high point where he was logging right around 9 points, 3.5 rebounds per contest, so I think that that should be very helpful as he was a big-time contributor there, so I do think that there are a few pieces for Alabama State, but man, you can tell that when Mo Williams left the fold that it was a little bit of a bare cupboard for Tony Madlock, and he's trying to build that up once again. So I do have Alabama State at number 9 with regards to my projector or finish. At number 8, I am going to be going with Bethune-Cookman. Bethune-Cookman, such an interesting team because I think that they've got the talent to be much better than this, but it just hasn't come to the forefront. Lucas Covicius, I think that he might be out of the fold for the team. He was a six foot ten guard that they were banking on as a little bit of a project guy. He's out. You lose the likes of a Joe French. He is now within the conference and he is now out of the fold for the team. They still have Zion Harmon, a former top 150 recruit that had a nice year last year. He was able to give the team 13 and a half points, 2.8 assists per contest, just inconsistency with this team and not being able to make the little play. 357th in the country in terms of two-point shooting percentage. You've got Derek Carter Hollinger, who he two seasons ago at Montana was a 44% three-point shooter with six and a half points, two and a half boards in the big sky. He really didn't do a ton for the team last year with six points, four boards per contest. They just need a little bit more down low as well because when they had Dylan Robertson in the fold, he was able to do a nice job of being able to grab some rebounds, but he was dealing with injuries last season. They're looking at someone like a James Henderson who was able to grab right around 3.2 boards at a block per contest to be able to take on a little bit more of that. And Devonnie McIntyre, he's a good guy with active hands. Last year, he only gave you about 2.8 points per contest, but two steals per game. He was in the top 50 nationally with regards to steals force on a per possession and a per game basis. So I like what he's able to bring to the table. Got a lot of raw pieces. It's just being able to bring out that talent in these guys and being able to get Zion Harmon some weapons to be able to work with. I don't know if they're going to be able to do so. As a result, with Bethune-Cookman, I do have them number eight with regards to my projector or finish. At number seven, I am going to be going with Alabama A&M. They lose three out of their top four scores from last season. Dallin Smith is going to be looked to as a guy that is going to be really able to elevate the offense. 10.5 points, 1.2 steals per contest, shot about 35.5% from three-point range. They were able to do a good job down low with a lot of guys that were able to step up and were able to give this team a little bit more rough and tumble than they had in past years, but they are going to be missing one of their main guys that they relied upon down low last year in the seven-footer that came in from the Division II ranks in Olisa Blaze Okanobi. He was able to give the team five and a half rebounds. He was able to give you north of a block per contest as well. So him being out of the fold, that is going to be a little bit rough for this team. But at the same time, Omari Peak, I think that he is going to be able to reach his peak. He was able to give the team six points per contest, was able to be a relatively solid three-point shooter in a conference where three-point shooting does elude a lot of these teams. So that is going to be an important note for these guys as well. And Garrett Hicks, last season, he was really a heart and soul piece for the team. I believe that he is going to be out of the fold, unless if I am mistaken. Certainly, if you get Hicks back, that would be able to elevate the team. But with him presumably out of the fold, I do think that it is going to be a little bit more of a rough year where the team 
is going to be needing to look to some of these junior college guys that they're going to be bringing in. They could use someone like Dylan McLean, a 6'5", a little bit of a combo player, to really be able to elevate the game of Alabama A&M. So I do have them as a result number 7 with regards to my projector or finish. And number 6, I am going to be going with Texas Southern because with Texas Southern, oftentimes you see this team do a tremendous job bringing in a lot of like junior college transfers, bringing in a lot of guys that maybe they just flamed out with insert your power school here. They're looking for a little bit of a new lease on life, and they just don't have a lot of that. They return just one of their top four scorers from last year. P.J. Henry is a guy that Herbert was giving a lot of praise to, and rightfully so. He's a guy that is able to light it up as he was the only player that made thirty more than 31.3% of his series last year. 12.5 points, 1.3 seals per contest, but even though this is a Texas Southern team that they never really rely upon a lot of three-point shooting, you just still need a little bit more than that. SMU transfer Jameer Young enters after missing the 2022-23 season. He's averaging right around two points per contest while he was with the Mustangs. Zaterius Morty, he's able to give you about eight points, a little bit over a seal per contest as well, but this team just doesn't have the typical rebounding that you'd expect. Now, Jonathan Cisse, you do want to be taking note of him. Cisse comes in from Incarnate Word, and this guy can be a little bit of an elevator for this team. Right around 17 points, 2.5 assists per contest, seal and a half per game, shot about 41% per three. And Deion Stroud, if he can get back to what he was when he was at Fresno State during the 2020-21 season, collected 12 points, right around 3.5 boards, shot 36% from three. That is going to be big, but I could see this very easily being a team that struggles early, and then they're able to peak late. This has been a team that's ranked at the top 34 in points a lot on a per-possession basis throughout the last three years. That dipped to 132nd. They're really looking at Kenny Hunter, who had six points, five boards per contest, while it was over with Louisiana Tech last season to be able to elevate that. I do think that this could be one of those teams that, much like they did last year, they perhaps struggle early in conference, they peak late, and then they become that team that you don't want to play within the conference tournament. But I do think that there's going to be some hiccups early as a result. At number six in my projector or finish, that's going to sound a little bit low, but we're going to be going with Texas Southern. And number five, I am going to be going with Arkansas Pine Bluff. Maybe I'm just a little bit too bullish on this team because they do have just three players who average more than 4.8 points per game back. But Kyla Milton, I think, is one of the best players within the conference last year. 13 points, four boards, four assists, 1.4 seals per contest. And you get back top rebounder Ismail Plett was able to give you a little bit over five boards per contest. Lionel Martin Jr. coming in for Montana, I think it's big. He was able to shoot 87% of the charity stripe, 37% from three, six and a half points per contest. And if you could get Rashad Williams out there on the floor, this guy during the 2019-20 season when he was at Oakland, he averaged 19 and a half points. He took 12.6 threes per game. The most of any player in a season since the 2007-8 season. I think that you've got something here. And we were talking about this with Herbert as well. You get Joe French into the fold. He's one of the best pure knockdown shooters in mid-major basketball. Averaged nearly 10 points. Shot a little bit over 40% from three last season. That's with a lot of less than tremendous looks two seasons ago. That was more like 16 points per game on 44% three-point shooting. A.C. Curry, he's a former Juco Recruiting.com rated top 100 junior college transfer. He logged right around four rebounds and a steal per game last season. And I do think that Arkansas Pine Bluff is going to be able to elevate themselves this season. I think that they're in for a solid year. I've got them number five in regards to my projector or finish. 
And number four, I'm going to go with Prairie View. Prairie View has been a top 33 team eight out of the last nine seasons with regards to turnovers forced on a per possession and a per game basis. And I think that they're going to be back there. They bring in Ronald Giles to be able to get back to his 2021-22 form. Really didn't do anything last season, two seasons ago. 11 points, three and a half boards, 2.4 assists, 1.5 steals while shooting nearly 40% from three in the NEC. Nick Gazellas, he comes in from Montana State, where he was logging only about two points per contest last year. Two seasons ago, though, shot in the mid-30s from three-point range, five and a half points per game for a team that made the NCAA tournament, and they've really elevated that three-point shooting. That was such an issue for them with Javante Hopkins. He comes in from Charleston State. The only average right around four and a half points per game, but shot 45.5% from three-point range. Now, they do have to replace a whole heck of a lot from last year. The top 10 scores from last year are gone. So this is clearly a case where we are just trusting in the coaching staff of Prairie View. But trusting in the coaching staff of Prairie View, trusting in them to be able to get things figured out, it's paid off time and time again. And even with Prairie View being a little bit disjointed and them not being the Prairie View of old, they were still sixth in the conference last season. I think that this team is going to be able to get it figured out. Byron Smith, he plays a very tough style to be able to prepare for, even when you see it multiple times every single year. You have a lot of guys that were just sort of sitting there waiting in the weeds last season. And I do think that those guys that maybe sat out a season season, being able to see some playing time, being able to go through practice, what have you, they're going to be able to see the floor, and I think that they're going to be able to elevate this program. So I'm going to be going with Prairie View. Even though they do lose all that production from last year, it wasn't necessarily great production, and I think that flushing it is actually going to be able to help them out. I've got Prairie View at number four with regards to my projector or finish, and number three, I'm going to be going to Elkhorn State. Elkhorn State has taken the regular season conference crown each of the last two seasons. They are going to need to replace a few of the top scores from last season, but at the same time, you still do return three of the top four guys from last year, including Jeremiah Kendall, who was able to give you 11 points, DMI six half boards per contest. And so once again, one of those teams that they didn't shoot it well from three-point range. They were a bottom 40 team in the country. It's three-point shooting percentage. As a matter of fact, 352nd to be exact. But Byron Joshua, one points, a little bit over 4.2 assists per contest. That's uh, Roderick Masonette. He comes in from Austin P. He was able to give Austin P. a little bit over a seal per contest. Jeremiah Gambrell, he was able to notch right around 9.5 points per game. So I do like the way that this backcourt shapes up. I would like them to be able to add a little bit more rebounding. But in these years in which they have been one of the top teams out there in the swag, they've really done it without necessarily having that traditional big man. Having to replace someone like Dominic Bruton is going to be tough because he was able to give you 12 points at one of your main trigger men. So that's something that you're going to need to overcome. Otis Walker, when he was out there, he was relatively solid, but the team has a lot of experience playing without him. But Oh no, I take a look at this Elkhorn State team, and as it was alluded to by Herbert, I think that Landon Bussey is one of the best mid-major coaches that you're going to find out there. He has done wonders with this Elkhorn State team. I think that they're going to be towards the top once again. I've got Elkhorn State at number three in my projector or finish. At number two, we are going to be gambling on Grambling. We've got Grambling here as they were so good on defense last year. Number seven in the country with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. They do lose four other top five scores with Jordan Smith being the main guy returning. He was able to notch nearly nine points, five boards a block per contest, and did shoot 44.8% from three at six foot nine. We were talking about this man as well, Jonathan Koo. The production wasn't massive with him last year as he was giving you about 
four and a half points, four rebounds per game. But when he got quality minutes and when he got rolling, this guy can be a game changer and to get Jalen Johnson back in the fold. He was playing at UW-Milwaukee last year, limited minutes, six and a half points, three rebounds per contest. When he was in the swag at Alabama A&M a few seasons ago, he was logging 16 and a half points, seven and a half boards a seal per contest. He knows how to dominate within this conference. Elvis Nanji comes in. He should be able to give this team a little bit of something down low. This team knows who they are. They are not a team that's necessarily going to light it up from three-point range. They're not a team that's going to be super-duper flashy, but they're going to play tough, tenacious defense. And I like the guy that they've got coming in as they've got the number 34 junior college transfer from JucoRecruiting.com and Cadavius Dozier. And this guy at Gadsden State Community College, hopefully I said that correctly. Sorry if I did not, but he averaged, and I'm not even kidding here, 27.8 points, 6.6 rebounds, 3.8 assists, and 1.6 steals per game on mid-33 point shooting, 34.2% three-point shooting. That is really, really stinking good. This team is a little bit of a work in progress on offense, but this defense is one of the more fearsome ones you're going to find at the mid-major ranks. It's one that was able to notch them a win on the road against Vanderbilt last year. I've got Grambling, number two, with regards to my projector or finish, and at number one. Maybe I'm just buying into the Kool-Aid a little bit too much, but we're going to be going with Jackson State. When you bring in a guy into Sean Ruffin, who two seasons ago at the SEC level had 12.5 points, 3.4 assists, 2.3 steals per game, that is something. Ken Evans, he is back. He gave you 11 points, 2.5 assists, a little bit over 1.2 steals per contest. Certainly, they need to be better than they were with regards to how things went on offense last year. 348th of the country in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis. They were one of your lesser three-point shooting teams in all of college basketball. But Jordan O'Deal coming in from Alabama State. He began his career playing for Mo Williams, who's currently the coach of this fine program. 8.7 boards, 1.4 blocks per contest last season. And Jamarcus Jones went 7.5 points, 3 boards per contest. They should be able to form a nice one-two punch down low. Romel Mansell, he's able to give you right around five and a half boards per game down low. You get back Colty Young. Chase Adams is able to do a nice job doling out the ball. Three and a half assists, eight points per game. After he was atrocious as a shooter in his first stop at Portland, he was able to shoot right around 35.5% from three-point range. I think that Jackson State has all the goods to really be able to elevate. And keep in mind, Jackson State, they went on the road. They knocked off SMU. They played Mississippi State. Two ten points in a game that I believe was on a neutral court last season as well. This team has actually had good results against Power Conference teams. So I've got Jackson State, number one with regards to my projector or finish, and that will wrap things up for the Swag Conference Preview Edition right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have any question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at and underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M, maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And I will be coming at you guys every single day on this podcast here in the offseason, giving you guys the news and notes of college basketball along with conference previews, much like you heard today. And when we get in-season picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. And a big thanks to Herbert Seward. Does amazing work over at Hold Hoops Ground, HBCU Game Day, and so much more. Join me in the last segment. I'll be coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. And that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 